42. It's slow today. 15. Secret of the universe. Can you count in order, though? That's the question. But uh, we don't want to put you on the air. No, no, we just don't want to embarrass you, Doc. We understand you don't do the math. I, it's okay. I got you. I'll do the math for you. So, all right, let's dive right in. Hey, are you crazy, sci-fi <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy fans? It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king. The sky is the limit and space is the place. Oh, and JR is always right. Siska is always wrong. And I'm going to revoke her uh, admin powers because this is getting out of hand. But uh, without further ado, <laughs> we will introduce you, or we will let Mr. Arlo Adams introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. Hey, listeners and viewers. <laughs> um, I'm Arlo. I'm, I'm the author of the Enoraverse uh, novels, including the Enora Online series, uh, Enora Fireborn, and more recently, the Enora Unleashed series. Um, I grew up uh, a well, I'm a former data center engineer who grew up the son of an IBMer way back in the days of bell bottoms and butterfly collars to age myself. And I uh, graduated from Appalachian State with a journalism degree. App State's a great school, so. Yeah, I love it. Mo most beautiful campus, man. It's amazing. Yes. Proud alum. All right. It's another, uh, the next one is we get to say where we found them. So this is another one where Doc said, be here or be square. And uh, then she threatened to embarrass me somehow. And I just, I do want to hurt her feelings and say no. I mean, so you did try and tell not me that you're not capable of being embarrassed. It was like an invitation. This is true. But Doc, what bar did you meet him at? Uh, I did not meet him at a bar. I believe we met via email. And I think you were... Who was it? It was Mel Todd posted a thing and she said, I've been on here and it's a really fun time. She's biased. Um, it, and so you decided to uh, take her up on her challenge and come on the show. Yeah, for a second there, I was thinking, oh, my God, did I meet her in a bar? And I just got so tanked. I don't remember it. When did this happen? <laughs> Always hell? possible. Yeah. And you never know with me. I pop up in the strangest locations, mostly bars. Be careful. I believe you. <laughs> All right, Doc, you get to ask your favorite questions, and we got our finger over the click button to, to, to boot him from, from the show if he gets it wrong. He won't get him wrong. He knows the right answers. He went to App State. So Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Yes, absolutely. See? It's such a, it's such a funny question. I, I love that one. So I like – the distinction between Star Wars and Star Trek, no one ever talks about because I became a fantasy fan from Star Wars. That's the religion, right? The yep. force and all that. And then fell in love with Star Trek, which is the science, right? Which mm -hmm. shows we love all of it. Yes. Right? So, and Firefly is just a travesty. How you do one season, I could bitch smack somebody. I know. And, and I'm dreadfully afraid that Disney is going to. Disney is rumored to say that they're going to try and do a live action, and I'm so afraid of what they're going to do. Oh, I wish they'd just do my books instead. I mean, don't ruin Firefly. Some things are just so, so yes, practically short, but perfectly done. And if you go back and you futz with them, you just, you ruin it. 
you know? Just yeah. don't sell them to Fox. That's where good shows go to die. <laughs> and yeah, I'd let them do my books. That the the paycheck's pretty good. So sure. <laughs> Great. Sign me up. So right, now how about those fantasy people? Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time? Oh, I'm gonna get boring. That's another yes answer. Um Okay. But you're gonna have to say what you like about each of them then. Okay, so my first experience with Lord of the Rings, because that is where you should start was a reel-to-reel that we rented from the library when I was a kid and put on the wall of our apartment. So I watched The Hobbit cartoon in 1977, maybe, um, and just fell in love. Just Tolkien's universe is insane, but I'm not going to read The Cimmerillion. It's never going to happen. So I have my limits. Uh, Game of Thrones, I liked the show. Because I just couldn't keep up with the books. I admit it. Right They're homes. They are. And all the family history and who everybody is just, uh And I took, I got a lot better. I'm glad I read the books because then it made the TV show a lot more impressive up until the end. You know, let's not <laughs> talk about that last season if we can help it. Yeah. Um, and I can't read Wheel of Time. I've sat down and tried to pull out Robert Jordan on multiple occasions. And I just, there's something about, I'm sure it's wonderful, but there's something about the prose, the way that it's written, that just, it doesn't flow for me, you know, but I did watch the series and I thought that was cool. I I have ha- had those authors where it just doesn't click so well. And right. I had a friend once recommend trying them in audiobook because for example, um, Jen Butcher's his Alara Codex series. Mm-hmm. She said that she couldn't get, she's read all of his Butcher stuff, but she could not get into how he just writes the prose for that. But when right. she went to listen to the audiobooks, she goes, in, in audio format, it worked so much better for her. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. So. I, I, uh, I can only look at the screen for so long in a given day because of this vestibular thing I have. And um, so I, I usually spend that time writing you know, trying yeah. to get my words and everything. So I actually listen more to audiobooks than I read, you know, um, no. uh, w- w- like when I'm going to bed at night, I'm going to sleep to an audiobook. I'm telling my brain, shut up and listen. And, and it's great. I fall asleep. But um, I actually read Game of Thrones on audio. So when I say read, I'm kind of lying. You know? uh, it counts in my book. So uh, same books, too. you know, so. still absorbing the story. And I invest in audio, so I hope it works. <laughs> I run a whole yep. channel so, for it, so. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I enjoy good audio books, too. So the only thing I really don't like is when they try to put too much of that background music and, and all that dramatic effect. It annoys the hell out of me. Just read the, me the story, right? We're in a class circle. Read me the story. I don't need all the chimes and the music and all that. It's distracting. I, experience I know people who pay extra for that. But yeah, I've so, experienced that recently. It takes away from the story. It just pulls you right out of it. Well, I have, um, so I suffered some hearing loss when I was in the army. And so mm-hmm. if you do a sound test where they do it, you put you in the booth, it's silent. My hearing is at yeah, marginally passable. You put any background noise in my brain, it's like it can't distinguish anymore. And so when they put that, the, the background effects, it just makes it harder for me to hear the, the dialogue. Well, the, the narration. So. That's called audio processing. 
<laughs> it's called getting blown up one too many times. I know, yeah. but I'm talking about the specific disorder as an audio processing disorder. Wait, it has a name? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. For me, it's called denial. Some people also, I, I had that too. Some people just call it getting old. At least that's what my kids tell me. But uh, what do they know? Damn, Nothing. Kids, kids these days. I want to shake my hand at the sky and tell them to get off my lawn. Damn Nothing. it. All right. So. <laughs> Ouch. All right. So we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast like both the fantastical and the scientific. So which was your first love? Um, I saw Star Wars first, so I'd have to say fantasy. I'd love that answer. Cool. You wound me, sir. You wound me. So was that your first memory of anything in the speculative fiction genre was watching Star Wars, or was there something else, games you played or anything like that? Oh, no. Logan's Run. Man, my older brother Clayton got me into Logan's Run when I was just really little, and I, for some reason, I love those stupid little turtlenecks with stripes they wore, and just the the environment. It was that really sucked me into sci-fi early. It's Logan's Run. I'm not familiar with that one. Man, I have to, I have to write it up. If it, it does not have to do that. time, yeah, it would not. I mean, I can. Up. I can deal with a little bit of camp and cheesiness, so it's okay. But I'll give it a shot. I watched Space 1999. That was... Yep. J.R. thinks Night of the Living Comet is a highbrow movie. <laughs> Are you mocking What's me, in that glass, Doc? <laughs> Would I be mocking you? No. What's on the glass is even more important. It looks like a solar system. Except it's not. It looks like a chemical <laughs> Oh, Arlo is smarter than Jr. You're fired. Oh, All of you, you're fired. You know I'm docking really your about Arlo and anybody in the audience is Jr. gave me these glasses. You think he knows that those are chemical compounds? Oh, Jr. Don't, I don't let I don't let the facts get in the way of my attempted humor. Come on, you know me better than that. All right. So, what is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Oh man. Um... Like in Ari, you know, for me, it's writing is about themes. And when it comes to speculative fiction, it, it covers the wide range from dystopian to utopian. And you get to see how human nature basically stays the same regardless. Um, and we tweak our behaviors because of the environment that we're in. And speculative fiction, depending on the environment, really impacts that and uh, reflects who we are as people. And I love writing characters, you know, I, I want them to all be distinctive. So uh, it's, it's a, it's such a great opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think, especially when it comes to some people who do world building and do it badly, they forget that everything in society has an equal and opposite reaction. So mm -hmm. you invent armor, they're going to invent something that's designed to penetrate the armor. And it goes back and forth with tech, like in everything, when you do something, the other side will do something else. And, and they forget that sometimes. Well, it's they, like uh, their worlds and cultures. So I know somebody's going to cringe when I say it, but I, I've been watching the movie Eternals from Disney in brief moments. Um, but they have a great line, which is they talk, spoiler, but they talk about uh, why they allowed war to continue. 
and that it, because of war, life-saving, every every war has seen advances, massive advances in life-saving and quality of life technologies in development. Every single one. Because of that equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, I just I mean, if you look people don't tell me how they get rid of the trash. It doesn't need to be part of the story, but tell me how it works, you know? Yeah. So, there's one of my favorite authors wrote a, wrote a segment. I'm like, I feel like you're trying to teach me how to how to sail a boat. I just need to know that the boat is sailing. Yeah, maybe the number of masks. So, the um, I'm not a boat person. I, mean, I didn't yeah, do the navy. Boats, right. Well, we'll come to that. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was gonna go somewhere funny with that, and then just whoosh, train left the station. I blame Doc. Oh, Doc! Damn it. That's okay. Just missed opportunity. All right, Doc. Next one's on you. Next. So, how did the your love of speculative fiction transition into writing stories in it? How did my love of speculative fiction transition me into writing stories in it? I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> uh, there's, it's, well, what got you into writing? So, Agatha Christie, believe it or Agatha. not. Um, but speculative fiction was just such a ingrained part of my life. You know, I mean, because... I was the Star Wars and Star Trek generation. Uh, you know, I was um, I was so consumed by it, and it was such a part of what all the kids liked when I was young. That um, yeah, I, I couldn't help but get into it. And you know, like I started reading mysteries, Agatha Christie, and whatnot, really early. I probably seven years old. My mom used to check out books for me from the library. And I just love those things. And, and that's really what made me want to be a writer. And that's why you'll find mystery in a lot of what I do, regardless of what genre it is. Um, Cause I like to twist stuff and make people not see it coming, but um, it, just immersion. I mean, as far as the question itself goes, it, speculative fiction is just as natural as, as breathing. You know, when you grow up in an environment that's totally flooded with it in a house with three boys. So yeah, we loved it. That's a lot of boys to have in a house. Tell, tell my so mother. Did, when you read, when you read the mysteries, do you read to the end, like cheat and go to the end to know how it ends, and then go read it? No, you. Oh, sacrilege! That's no. cheating, Jr. Oh, Jr. Yes, I, I cheat. Before I buy a book, I read the ending. It's the Billy Crystal, Harry Met Sally thing. He's afraid he's going to croak before he gets to the end, so he has to read the last page. See, that would drive me nuts because I love it when a book surprises me. That would drive me nuts. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. Oh, man, don't read my books. I don't want you messing up the twist. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, You heard it first. Me. Don't read his books. No, 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 no. You, J.R. from them. It's you, yeah. Jay. Well, I can't do that with I can't do that with I can't do it with audio. So those I have to suffer not knowing how it's gonna end. Oh, Although when, when I do read and I don't cheat, I mostly only cheat on like mysteries because I can't stand it. But uh -huh. uh, when I read regular yeah, stuff, I, only I can cheat almost on my always, diet, but that's still cheating. 
I can almost always tell how it's going to end. I can predict it. You say so. You can't predict it if you, you can't say you're predicting it if you cheat. When I don't cheat, obviously it doesn't count if I read the ending first. So it never counts. Got it. JR is wrong. Got it. You know what? Just ask the next question. JR is wrong. You're, you're okay. voted off my own. We've established <laughs> that JR is wrong. Okay. I see how this works now. Okay. Uh, I've got to stop letting Mel send his people because come on. This is like the second one in a row. Next, you're going to tell me you put pineapple on pizza. Not usually. <laughs> Okay, you, you have some redeeming qualities. Okay, thank okay. you. Thank you. Are so, jalapenos okay? Or... As long uh, as I'm not having to eat them because I'm a wuss when it comes to jalapenos. Yeah, I don't do it Me as too. much as I did when I was younger. So, yeah, I, we all do silly things when we're young. And then we get older and do different silly things. So, speaking of the silly things we did when we were younger, have you had any real-life experiences influence your how you tell stories um that's the writer existence i think we all draw from our experiences to tell our stories but i know that's not really what you're asking sure no that's fine you, you know have, that it's kind of an open-ended question yeah um yeah I've, I've definitely encountered my own challenges in life that definitely um, influence the way I tell stories. Um, I think we draw on those experiences, unfortunately, more on the negative ones because they tend to leave a, a bigger tattoo on our brains um, when we're trying to develop the bad guy or the minion, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, across a life of 53 years that it's been nothing but experiences that ended up influencing my writing. Absolutely. Okay. And if it doesn't, you're not Speaking doing the, it right. This is true. Yeah. And you don't get a redo, so might as well do it right from the beginning. Uh, speaking of uh, the Navy that you mentioned, we were talking about boats earlier. Uh, you mentioned that you served in the U.S. Navy. So we ask all of our authors who are also veterans of the military this question. But how do you feel like your time sailing the seven seas affects the stories you tell? That's such a great lead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just speed released a, a series in my Noraverse series um, that actually strays into the world of sailing and since i was in the navy i have a little bit of experience with that but i don't remember a lot of my navy experience because that was 30 years ago you know um there are things you were a child but i'm old um so yeah that was a long time ago luckily my writing partner on that series knows a lot about sailing like sailing i was on a big metal ship we didn't have sails so he he does the masks and all that but um yeah <laughs> Then, you know, whenever I like when I want to write a uh, I know there's several times I've written guards and characters like that in the fantasy world where they're just total abrupt a-holes. Um, and that that's definitely drawn on my military experience. I mean, you're kind of you're kind of taught to be gruff and curse a lot at people. So, yeah, I definitely drag that with me when I'm when I'm telling stories. When I want someone to look like a like an a hole, I just yeah. Let me let me think of somebody from the military that I might be able to they, draw for this. They 
they say if you remember your time in the Navy, you didn't do it right. Yeah, that's right. Supposed to be intoxicated. Yeah, I mean, there there are reasons they they put those bars on bases. You know, they're they're (laughs) hoping we will will drink ourselves into just forgetting that we were human beings and being more compliant the day after the hangover, right? So also. Mm-hmm. They're also hoping that you drink locally so you don't embarrass the Navy when you do it out in town and act the fool. Yeah, we didn't do that. Yeah. JR is very aware of that because he acts the fool. No, I used to always tell people because, you know, soldiers come home from a deployment. Everybody knows as soon as they walk in their house, they're opening up the beer almost right. universally. But right. they are all always told, do not drink for the first 72 hours. And I have a theory about why. It's not because they know people are going to drink, but if they tell them not to, they also know they're going to hide it and stay at home so they don't get in trouble, which means the command gets 72 hours of quiet. Yeah, my captain was very clear about that kind of thing. Um, we, we were floating on the oldest ship in the Navy at the time. and um, Constitution? We, we needed to be alert and not hung over. And he oh, told wow. us the second we cross off of the base, we're basically going into the civilian authority. And you don't want them arresting you because then you have to deal with them and come back and deal with him. So, yeah, we, we kept it on the base. Definitely. Yes. So so to clarify, it was the second oldest ship because the Constitution has been around since the, the revolution. Um, not as a commissioned Navy vessel in the United States Navy. It can't it be. It's still a commissioned vessel. Once well, again, it's, yeah, it's still wrong. wrong. Well, it was it was commissioned. Mine was commissioned in I think nineteen forty four. So it was up there. All right. So if you if you think I'm wrong, you can bring the proof, dear listener, into the comment section when we post it. But I can tell you that the Constitution has been the longest running commission ship because it's still I already believe you. And it's uh, it, there's the the equivalent is the HMS. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. There's one in Britain that's still commissioned, but it's in dry dock perpetually. No, you mean um, I totally believe you. I studied dead people for a living before I uh, got got into the army and started shooting. That people doesn't for a living, sound so. creepy at all. That explains his chipper disposition. Yes, yeah. that's what history it's is, right? You're well, dead people. You can talk back, and it doesn't make them look crazy. Oh. Right. Well, see, that's the great thing about being a historian is no one can disagree with you. They're all dead, and anyone that's alive that disagrees with you is just wrong. It's perfect for a man with an ego. But um, so you mentioned some of the character types that you draw on when you write your guards, but do you ever draw on anyone you actually knew when you were in the military? Do you remember any of those people? I try to shy away from being too accurate, you know, Um, out of respect for the people, whether I like them or not. You are all human beings. We make mistakes. They might have acted then in a way that they would never dream of acting now. So I try not to be too um, direct about it. But I think I'm when I'm building characters. I, I take little bits from different people who have similarities, right? More than uh, reflecting off of one person. Although there is one person right now that I'm thinking I would really like to turn into a villain, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> I, you can always, if someone drives you crazy as a writer, you can always make them a villain and kill them, you know? It, and they don't even know vengeance has been claimed. So it's a beautiful thing. 
a beautiful thing. So uh, we've talked a little bit about how your time in the military affects the way you tell stories, but let's flip the switch a little bit. Does it affect the way you engage with content as a reader or a viewer or consumer? Um, does your time in the service affect the kind of stories you engage with as a reader? I don't think so. I think I was, I, I've always been a reader. Um, and no, I don't feel like there was, I don't feel like there was a great change. It was impactful in a lot of other ways, but I don't, I don't think, uh, if I'm watching something military, you know, I'll definitely have insights that people that haven't served might not have. Uh, and I might get a, a tingle about something that's way too familiar, you know, from, a, from an episode when you were run off your ship or whatever. But um, generally, as far as just absorption of the stories or how I, how I engage, I don't think so. Or maybe right. I, I the first one. Credit. I don't know. It's fair. I know a lot of people that service is more recent, especially if they were like army and then they watch military movies and they're like, no, that's not how that gun works or that's not how that works. And so it's more right. a lot of it's on a technical side. Or, or you get some historians that, like, you watch a historic drama, and they're like, no, 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 they got all of that wrong. He only had 12 buttons on his shirt. Yeah, sailors don't have tactics. So, There's something about um, about swinging a paintbrush that's not really tactical. <laughs> I, Ironically, I my first so job in the Army was... Yeah. My first job in the Army was bosun's mate, and the Army had other ideas. Oh, yeah. Well, try hanging over the side of your ship doing about 20 knots on a little plank with two ropes and having it snap on you. No, oh, that doesn't sound fun. No, it I wasn't. And I so had one safety line. You've never seen anyone speed up a line and over a rail so fast in your life. I don't think <laughs> so what was, was your rate when you were in the Navy? What's that? <laughs> what was your What was your job in the Navy? I was opposed with E3. Oh, so undesignated striker. Seaman. I was a seaman, uh, both went in there, um, then uh, dispersing. Yeah, playing with money. I like it. All right, yeah, Doc. The next question is yours. Okay, so <laughs> transitioning a bit into the some of the fandom, have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet? Not really. Um, no, <laughs> my. Um, my wife does all of our art, so that that's all the art I've seen. But she does some great fan art, and she's a fan, but no, not really. I think that's great that she's so, involved. Oh, man. Was she always an artist and, and like, professionally, or, and then she just, you know, does your work because, you know, you're her husband? Or did she get into doing this at this level because of you? Ground up. She totally became a business partner and decided we could save money on – covers if she learned photoshop and das studio and she went from you've seen both covers we mentioned in the the pre-interview three of them so yeah yeah so the first ones were her first shot and while cool um the improvement has just been insane vast and she does so many things for the business i don't know how she learns all this stuff so quick so she's sharp definitely and she's always wanted to be more artistically inclined. So it gave her the opportunity to do that because now she doesn't have to have a day job anymore because I'm the most successful lit RPG author you've never heard of, you know? So she, um, you, she makes me that way. 
you know, she, she does the art. She keeps me out of my head, except when I'm in the flow and writing. Yeah, she's the best business partner a guy could ever ask for. That's wonderful. I will say, I really like the original cover. So I'll tell you what, one thing that we always encourage is if they want to see the original covers and they, they want to be lazy, uh, we will link to his newsletter and maybe next month, He'll, he'll be able to throw the original covers for the new people and they can say, hey, this is what it used to be. This is what it is now. And you can tell them which one you like better. Just sign up for his newsletter. We'll do that. Okay. Right, you make a note. I'll go for it. <laughs> Jared's I mean, great at giving other people work to do. He must have been an NCO in a past life. Yeah. It, it <laughs> but it also gets people on his life. newsletter. So it's, it's a win-win. <laughs> uh, newsletter to fans. <laughs> Which do you like better? All right. Okay, Art said so. <laughs> like, Who the hell is this falsy JR guy? Why are we getting interviews about him? Parentheses bastard. Okay. <laughs> All right, Doc. Save me from myself. Ask the next question. You're useless. You're never going to be saved long enough to matter. So, uh, has anyone asked for your autograph out in public or out anywhere? In public, no. No. Not like even I a book Most successful you've never heard of. Yeah. No. Okay. It's, it's probably, I don't do, I don't do social media much, you know, and uh, I'm not a great self promoter. I, I, I hope the work will stand on its own, but it, it costs me sometimes, but pays the bills, you know. But a beta reader asked for an autograph recently, and I signed a, a copy of Gemini's Crossing, and I'm actually mailing that out tomorrow. So wonderful! I'm sure they will be overjoyed. She is. Is that so the first? Was that your first and only, or have there been others? Oh no, I've probably no. I've had requests and mailed them out. You know, I don't sell them autographed or anything yet, but um. Yeah, I mean, mainly beta readers, <laughs> the people that, that do this for me, they want a little something back, you know? I mean, but once they've read six of my books for me just to look for plot holes or any problems with stats or anything like that, I figure they're worth it, you know? The stat yeah. part is the big deal, especially for lit RPG authors. Ooh, you do not want to so, mess it up. Yeah, I have a couple so, friends who are lit RPG authors, and um, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. Jessica, shut up. I'm trying to figure out how many hits this uh, rolling dice here. Uh-huh. So yeah, you when you not. put those stat tables, does Amazon give you – are you in Kindle Unlimited? Um. Yes. So you do you can't. get grief? Because I've, I've heard Go that goes both ways. Sometimes I've heard sometimes they'll let you put the stat blocks in, and sometimes they get real pissy about it. Oh, no. I, you know what? I don't use the, um, the spreadsheet format. I italicize right. and say – text okay okay so as you're when they're doing actual ai uh heads up display stuff it's all italicized right. and centered because i find that the readers often skip the stats anyway many of them do and having that format they just jump and they just fly through it because um i don't even though i'm replicating what it's like to live in this hyper real video game um world it's, uh, I don't, I want the stats to actually apply to what's going on in the story instead of just giving you a bunch of what it feels like to be in a damn video game. If the story's not there, okay. what's the point, right? Yeah. So I want those stats to be as 
either digestible or ignorable as possible. I will admit, I only occasionally look at the stats to see which one changed. And I'm, in my defense, I do that when I'm reading lit RPG and I do it when I'm actually playing my lit game, my RPGs. Yeah. And you have, oh. to, you know, you have to have them. I mean, that's the whole point of the genre, but well, maybe not the whole point. Storytelling's the point. But the thing that I try to do to accommodate those that do skip is that often the character will have thoughts about the relevant one and what increase they were happy to see or how it's going to increase their damage or uh, health re regeneration, whatever, just to make sure that that comes across. You know, I expect people to skip. You'd be surprised how many people do. So, okay. So, um, have you ever spotted somebody reading one of your books out in public? Uh, not under this pen name, but I have seen somebody reading one of my books before, and it, there's no feeling like that in the world. That's awesome. Just amazing. Can you tell us a bit about that. I, I was. It was actually just random. I was out walking along a sidewalk. There was a park there. There's a woman sitting on the bench with the book right in her hand. Oh. Not even. Wow. She just had the paperback plowed open and was running through it. She was probably about three quarters done too, and that made me feel really good. She didn't That's awesome. Around, right? Did you say anything? That's awesome. Uh, no. I strolled. I, have I think I probably would too. I'd be like, I don't want to interrupt them. I don't want to. So. You know, I don't. I don't want to look like some some weird, crazy person. Egotist, you know. Yeah. Hey, how's the book? What do you think? You know, not my jam. Let him enjoy the book. That's why I wrote it. Fair. So you mentioned that you you include like what it's like to live in this game. Um, so are you a huge gamer then? Or did you just sort of stumble onto the genre and say, hey, I like this. I can write this. Um, no, big gamer. Uh, all my life. Uh, that We were one of the first families in the world to get an IBM PC back in the late 70s. And the uh, I was gaming from the beginning. My first uh, real game was by Microsoft, believe it or not. And it was on one of those three and a half inch floppies. Let me get in front of the camera. Which one and was it? called microsoft adventure totally text-based like zork and all those games and i remember uh, seeing that growing up yeah so that that was the first thing that i ever played on a pc and i was hooked and i never looked back i've had every video game console you could name um i think all of them and pc gaming and even a little bit on mac i wish they'd develop more for it but yeah Game, game, game. I actually just got a um, an Oculus headset, a VR headset, so that I could start dropping some videos on YouTube when I saw what it was like in there. And uh, it's so much fun. It's really cool. The Oculus is really um, neat. I uh, co-opted Mel Todd's over New Year's briefly, and that it is a lot of fun. You can't describe the effect to people. That's the yeah. thing about I I'm, I'm supposed to be a writer, but I can't I cannot adequately describe to you what that experience is like because it's so far technically past where I thought we were. You know? I mean so I, and I'm a technical I, person. There was a display at the mall in like the late nineties, and I remember going in there and doing the VR headset there, and it looked like everything was pixel. It was like a Tron where you just had the lights and the, the blunt square shapes and stuff. Right. And all I remember is it made me so dizzy. I was like puking for an hour afterwards, but 
Yeah. I, I'm understanding that it's gotten a lot past that. The people that were saying they were getting sick initially don't have that problem anymore. Well, they've also the made stuff. it so so you can uh, adjust the comfort level so that if, if the full right. motion bothers you, like I can't do a roller coaster on YouTube 360, right? There's no way in hell. Right. So I, um, but when it, like I was playing Resident Evil 4 the other day, and instead of doing the full motion thing, you just click ahead and it draws a little arrow on the ground and you just move in choppy motions instead of the constant immersive immersive motion, right? So people with inner ear problems and, and dizziness and stuff like that can deal with it a little more easy, easily. That's awesome so, that they've incorporated some adaptive, um, some adaptiveness to it for people with yeah, other issues. Yeah. And they're so, passing monthly. They're adding all these features to that headset. They really want it to catch on. And I don't, I'm not really a fan of Facebook, but they got this right. Definitely. So, so do, you, do you also play board games, um, tabletop role-playing games, wargaming, miniatures, that sort of thing? God, I want to, but I don't. Uh, my my co-writer, Dustin Porta, and I have been talking about hosting a, um, an author's tabletop game like maybe every two weeks. And I think we're going to do that, but not, I've been wanting to do it for the longest time, but I've been writing books. <laughs> so just no time. Well, and it's so hard because different writers work in different processes. Like I, I know I have one friend who's a writer and he just ideates and ideates and round and round and round. And, and you're not getting through to him short of like throwing things at him. Right. Um, but when he sits down to write, he can write a novel in a day. That's amazing. I don't um, know. How do that. Little bipolar. It's flow state. It's totally so. flow state. Read um, Finding Superman. It has changed my life. Uh, starting back in August, I started actually practicing this and trying to get into flow state and drowning out the world around me when I'm writing. And I wrote Anora Online 9 in about 28 days, which for wow. me is really fast. So, um, yeah, flow state. you got to love that non-distractable state. Just warn the people around you, I'm not listening to you. Hey, honey, don't come in here. I won't hear you. It's yeah, not no. with me. <laughs> See, I, I'm, I'm ADHD. D, oh, so froze. I already do the hyper focus, which is why what? I said you froze for a second, but you came back, so we're okay. Yeah. So I, I'm ADHD, so I do the hyper focus thing anyways. Mm -hmm. And um and I, I'm I'm like I'm really good. And the problem that I sometimes run into at work is I get into that hyper focus flow state. And uh I like that flow state where you're just in the flow. I like that term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will go eight hours without eating, and that's not good. Right. So. I think the thing that made it click for me was the um, description of a, a point guard on a basketball court in the NBA. If he's not in the flow state, he can't do that. You know, there's just no way. If you can't tune out that crowd, and I'm like, well, then I need to do that to write books. Why not? You know, it's kind of comical, but it works. So, so – before we move on, so if you do a, a game with your co-writer, what uh, what system would you be using? Would you be playing in your own game, uh, in or uh, online, know, or? I for no, I I forget what the name of the system he told me about was, um, and I'm not going to remember because it was just it was yesterday and that was a long time ago. So I tell people I've <laughs> it. 
Yeah, we actually do a Zoom office every day. So we're always talking about this nerdy stuff that us two writers always in there working on our own projects. And we talk about stuff like that. And, but I can't remember what the name of the system is. But it'll okay, be. Well, we will link to. We will link to all of your social medias. And so if people are curious, they can stalk you as you do and they'll find out. Okay, so, so let me right. put a note down here that now he wants me to post on social media, post the game system <laughs> tabletop because JR sucks. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to get you followers. Like we're trying to win win uh, hearts and minds and stuff. Right. Okay. Influence well, people in shit. <laughs> Namaste, my friend. Thank you for that. <laughs> I so appreciate uh, you. Thanks for the work. Yeah, I do what I can. I know. All right, so we're gonna take them. We're gonna take a moment where we pause and we shamelessly shill for the man, and uh, Doc will mock me mercilessly while we're off air. Grab your swords and get ready to level up. When gaming journalist Ray experiences a tragic accident with the next generation of gaming consoles, he finds himself stuck in the mystical land of Valka, trapped in a world filled with magic beasts, warring factions, filthy bandits, and a level system that's out of this world. The only problem is, his only way out may be through. Ray must fight like his life depends on it, because it just may. Survival means victory, and defeat could mean the end. Forever. Legends Online Genesis releases on Audible January 7th. Digital and hard copies now available on Amazon. All right, I totally didn't cry. She was really mean, but uh, I fired her. So, so this is Doc Slack's episode, honest. And I'm gonna dock her pay. She's getting half as much as she used to get. So, <laughs> I see what you did, Doc. But I fired you, so you can't do this anymore. All right. All right. Just so that's established, the hierarchy has been established, Doc. Uh, this is the part where we talk about everything that Arlo Adams has written. So, can you give us the uh, Reader's Digest version of your body of work? Um, sure. So the first lit RPG, not going to my other pen names, the um, first lit RPG series was the Enora Online series. That's the one that starts with Gemini's Crossing. There are currently nine books in that series. Um, and I wrote a, a one-off that's going to become a series uh, called The Source, which is Enora Fireborn. It takes place after book seven in the main series. But don't worry, guys, at the end of book seven, it'll actually point you there. If you want to be true to the timeline, you read that next, and then it'll point you right back to Anora Online. Um, and then the new releases are the three books that we put out between December 26th and January 15th, which is the Anora Unleashed series, which takes place after launch day in Anora. Yeah, Was that complete yeah. enough? <laughs> JR sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just, you know, Doc has, has been fired. So uh, we'll be hosting auditions for a new co host. Uh, and while all of those, uh, those books, sure, you, wait, wait, you're mean too. Uh, oh. So while all, those, all those sound fascinating. We're here to talk about the Enora Online series, or more specifically, Gemini's Crossing, which is the first book in this epic saga. So how did you come up with the premise for this universe? Was it um, psychedelics, Ouija board, hanging out with Dr. Really much like and your mind? Sessions. Mainly weed. That too. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly weed. The liquid when I can get it. Um, you know, vaping it 
a little bit better, cleaner buzz. No. Um, <laughs> you sounded too convincing little, there. Maybe a little. No. Um, and maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hero's journey stuff, right? Um, Joseph Campbell. Uh, you try to create your own version of the story people have been telling for thousands of years and make it compelling. And um, put your protagonist into a crappy situation and then get him out of it just in time to find out he's still in another crappy situation. Then line him up. Right? That's life. I mean, fiction does, art does mirror life. So, um, you know, the the premise for the universe really did just, it just kind of comes. You know, the worst... One question I don't think any writer really loves is where do you get your ideas, right? Because it's such a hard question to answer because it can come at the worst time when you're in the middle of something else and everything has to get shut down so you can get that idea down. And I think with Gemini's Crossing, that's basically what happened with me. Um, Just the ideas. I find that when I... Sorry for all the stuttering, but I find that when you um, or when I get into a certain story mode and I have kind of an idea of who the character is before I actually start putting him in the situations, just a baseline, um, I'll be laying in bed at night. And if I don't have my iPad and my little pen for the iPad with me, then I'm an idiot because I, I spend more nights waking up to jot down an idea when I'm actually in story mode than you would believe. My sleep suffers, and I have this little aura ring on my finger to tell me how much it suffers. Link it with the app, and it says, you slept like crap last night. I'm like, no kidding. I have um, a watch that does it. It's kind of obnoxious. Yeah, it is kind of obnoxious. I don't I don't update it every day. I don't, I don't want to see that every day. I kind of feel like I slept okay last night. Why ruin it by you telling me I didn't? But yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> I think things just kind of unfold that way for me. Um, Once I get into that mode and I have the idea for the story, then the universe just kind of comes in and says, bam, here's an idea. Bam. Oh, that'll fit. Bam. No, that's crap. Throw it out. You know, but it still wakes me up. I don't know what it is about that place where right when you're about to fall asleep, that place between consciousness and unconsciousness is a creative space. That's where the muse lives. I'm convinced of it because the bitch wakes me up, right? So, yeah, that's how I operate. Well, the good news is if you want to make that weed more potent and you make your drugs better, I happen to know a chemist. I'm just going to throw that out there. Hey, Doc, can you really, like, help me out there? Drink water. (laughs) Little hookup. (laughs) What about vitamin M? Are you going to tell him to take some vitamin M? Yeah. Do you make X in the iodine factory? Um, no. <laughs> uh, and when the security clearance people come and look at her office, we're like, uh-huh, Doc, we listen to your podcast. Am All I right, Doc, save yourself from the investigation. We don't have security clearance at my plant. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. If so you're, you're not saying... Uh, like really made, the news, made the local news because we had a 60... Um, I had a huge propane fire the other day, week. And were you anywhere near that when it went off? I'm just saying. I'm not saying it was you, but were you near? I was inside in the lab doing my job. 
being very uh -huh. confused why everybody else was yelling and running around me. And I'm like, why are you guys buzzing? What are you doing? Why are you being so dramatic? And then they're like, look out the window. And I'm like, oh, that that is good cause for drama. So what Doc's saying is she's not she's not saying she can make you better drugs, but she's not not saying it either. All right, we got it. Well, that, that's clear as about Doc. I've got her email. We'll, we'll finish this one. There you go. All right, Doc, next question. So moving into the book, can you give us – wait, you're supposed to uh, – where are we? No, we're supposed to put up oh, the cover. Sure, you think that? You're right. I didn't – he mentioned earlier that his wife did his covers, and it just slipped my mind. I, I blame Whoa. Seska, really. I mean, everything's her fault. But this is the, the cover for the book, the new one. So where did you come up with the idea or premise for this cover? Or I should say, where did your wife come up with it? So that's actually kind of a funny story. I have this program on my iPad that I can't remember the name of right now, where I was screwing around with the light pen feature with my little eye, eye pencil, iPad pencil, whatever the hell they call that thing. And um, I just kind of, I drew this light pencil EO and then I turned it sideways and this is what it looked like. And we noticed that the E looked like the power button on a computer yes. or a pad or whatever. And we thought that was kind of a cool crossover since you play these games on computers. And then um, Emily went from there. I just showed her the, the basic, how the light swelled from center going out, you know, mm -hmm. um, how it's a little bit thinner and less reflective or less of an aura. And then she went into Photoshop and blew me away. I think it's a really fun cover. I like it. it. It's nice. It's very distinctive in the field of lit RPG covers because Thanks. it is actually very clean and very simple. Yeah, it stands um, out in the search results. So it really does. And I, I really like it. So thank you. And I have more than a few lit RPG books on my shelf. Awesome. <laughs> Glad to hear that. But yeah, so, we, yeah, we wanted a runic symbol, you know, um, that, that was the big thing. At this point, we already had eight covers that were not mm -hmm. this. And I, I wanted, we wanted, we talked about the longest time about making them more distinguishable when people search for lit RPG. So when the other covers are sliding by, this one stops the scroll. And she created 10 in, in no time at all. And I just, I love them. I, she, she did a great job. They have that runic quality that says fantasy. Yeah, they do. It's kind of like um, Larry Korea had a book come out, and I'm totally spacing on it. It wasn't part of his Monster Hunter, but he switched and did an epic fantasy, and it was just the mask on the cover. And it's that kind of has the same vibe because, uh, okay, fantasy, oh, look, swords, da, da, da. Wait, what? And you do stop, and you notice it. Cool. So, awesome. I really like it. It's, it's very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. She will too. And then, so, but can you tell us about your 30 second elevator pitch for this book? Sure. Um, Gemini Fowler has just learned he has an autoimmune disease that's going to end his life. And then a billionaire game developer comes along to offer him the chance to live on in a hyper-realistic role-playing game world, a BMOR. PPG, whatever, virtual multiplayer online role-playing game. Um, and But due to complications stemming from the sentient AI that's woken up in the world, he has to survive until level 10 or be wiped from the server. 
Ooh. Oh. That's level 10 can be a hard level to get to depending on your game format. Especially in a hyper-realistic world where you feel the pain because you've been transferred there. So that's yeah. Cool, I think. That's, that, that sounds like it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Yeah. So... In the field of all of these lit RPGs, what really makes yours stand out in a neat way? It's a beta test. I think that's the thing that, that differentiates is because of that AI problem I mentioned, they can't get other players into their game world. Okay. Yeah. So he um, he passed the brain scans so basically, the continent that he lands on, it's called Rubal, is his sandbox. He's the only player on that continent. There are no other players. There's no PvP going on. But there's a whole lot of uh, political strife and uh, social turmoil, uh, the things you look for in good storytelling, I guess. I don't, that sounded conceited. You'll edit that out for me. Um <laughs> Absolutely. No, but you you uh, do yes, need totally well. No, but really it does. Um the, the intrigue, the social stuff, the um the political situation. I I think there's it's just different from the other lit RPGs that I've read in that way. It's not well, it also sounds different. like you're kind of taking the middle ground on because I've noticed with lit RPGs. Like there are some who that are really, huh, they take what I jokingly call the kraut method, which is I swear the man the man and he's actually shown me the Excel worksheets. It has Excel worksheets that flow in everything in massive stat tables. It's like looking at first gen TNT all over again, right? On an Excel sheet. Um, and then you have some that take like a, a J Boyce and Siphon series where it's it's very light on the stats and everything. And you sound like you take kind of the middle ground on that. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I, I have spreadsheets. I, I definitely, so, I track everything. Um, because well, when no, I, Jay does. she just doesn't always put it in the book. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to know what she says when you call her, when she's updating the spreadsheet. Yeah. Don't tell the people the same upgrade every level. Just don't do that. You're really boring the hell out of me. And I actually stopped reading Lit RPG at one point. Um, I, I haven't I haven't gone back to it yet because I don't want to stumble upon the idea I was planning on putting in my next book and feeling like a copycat. I think Stephen King kind of had it right about, yeah, don't read too much in your own genre. I think with mine, you have to read a certain amount in order to kind of get a grip of the tropes and what people really like that are specific to Lit RPG and less to fantasy. And um then create your own kind of statistical overlay and figure how you wanted to do that. For me, it's more Dungeons and Dragons oriented because that's the role playing game that I played the tabletop when I was a kid, you know, elementary yeah. school and junior high school uh, and until girls came along. And um, yeah, yeah. End of answer. <laughs> so wait, I have a question. Hold on. Wait. Go ahead, Doc. I was going to ask, is your character, because of the brain scans, trapped in the game then? His consciousness has been transferred. Okay, so he's like permanently there. Because he was terminally his ill. Way to save his yeah. life. 
That's right. Okay. So with a lot of lit RPG, it seems like the big trend is everyone went towards, I mean, everything is a harem this or a harem that. So yours doesn't look like that's what's going on. So what made you decide to be different? I actually started out um, with harem elements in the first three books. And uh, upon review, literally, uh, it, it didn't review as well. Uh, like 3.6 on Amazon is not a good star rating. And uh, I knew that was why, because people just have this venomous hatred. Some people love the stuff, and they're not the ones that leave reviews and talk about it, right? The ones who leave reviews and talk about it are the ones that say, save it for romance, jerkwad, get out of my genre, you know? And when I looked at it, from a hero's journey point of view, I didn't realize at the time that I had pretty much killed it on hitting the the hero's journey points, right? Uh, yeah. Refuses the call, finds the mentor, all this stuff. And it didn't need to be there. You know, so I actually went back before we released book four and I wiped all of it. I just got rid of all the anything that could be mistaken for sexist attitudes or, well, th there weren't many of those anyway, but sexuality, any of that stuff, except for the main relationship that takes place in the book that you'll just have to read to know about. But people will see what I mean. And I actually put a little... You might have seen the forward if you did the look inside that that explains this is what this started as and this is what it became because it just didn't need that stuff. And I have a granddaughter now. So I can understand that. I one of my favorite authors of, to read of all time. She has one series that um, it got kind of gratuitous and it kind of took over the story for a while. And, and I really didn't like that. And then she had another one where it, 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 as long as it stayed within. But I think it's really cool how um, you've let your reviews kind of influence you. Because some authors say don't ever read them. Right. Um, well, I didn't say I read them. So you didn't I read the reviews? Yeah, oh. I get so mad. Did you let those reviews influence how you're doing things then? From um, in the no, I, I don't generally. It was because of the overall rating and the fact that I knew we'd we told a good story and that it could do better. Um, okay. To reach more people and review ranking has everything to do with that. It's your your first form of social credibility is when someone clicks on that that book cover and the product page opens and the first thing they see is the number of stars that book has and. Um, if I was sitting at 3.6 stars because it had content that people were objective to and the story stood so much better without that content, to be honest with you. Yeah. It only made sense to nuke it. And six months later, we were up almost a full point. Wow. So, That's yeah. huge. Yeah. So it wasn't just money chasing and not being true to the art. It was just practical, you know? Well, but, I think, I think you're also saying that it's, you realize that some of it wasn't really true to what you were writing in that genre. There's a That's certain true. level of a, of a bait and switch in books. If I think I'm opening up a, a, a mystery book and I find a romance, I get really kind of annoyed. But yeah. if, I'm, if I open up a romance and I find a mystery, I'm not as annoyed. But there's right. a certain, like there's a, a dynamic within there. Totally makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
So which person do you think that Gemini Crossing really hits in uh, a home run on? I'm sorry, I, I missed half the question. Which tropes do you think that Gemini Crossing really hits out of the park? Um, the mentor is big to me. It definitely does that. Um, not reluctant hero. He's not really reluctant. Uh, there are many. I wish my brain was bringing them up at the moment. Is there anything that you think you really took and just kind of twisted on its side? You mean story-wise? Yeah. The whole thing's a twist on the side that you don't realize. You know what? That's what I love about what, I, what I've done is that when you reach book nine and you get to the end of it, you find out nothing that happened in those nine books was what you thought was happening. Oh, I love it when that happens. Yeah, it, it's, um, I really, I'll, I'll never end this. It's yeah. too much fun. And that seems to be what, what keeps happening with this series is I'm doing something and that invasion happens, whether half asleep or not, that has this just stupid idea pops into my head. And I'm like, no, that's dumb. That's never going to work. It's going to plot hold the hell out of this thing. And then I go back and look at it end up reading all the books again and it's not breaking anything. I have to do that, you know? So turning things on their sides, that's yeah. pretty much standard living for me. I, I love it. I've had a couple of authors where I read them and some of the characters who at the beginning of the story and even part way through this, most of the way through the story, you're like, I hate this character. And then at the end, something changes and you're like, Actually, I know I like now that I character, and now I get it. Now I know who they are, and that makes sense. So I really enjoy those moments as cool. a reader. So yeah, um, me too. So we know that this is lit RPG, but where does it fit in any of the subgenres? So is it? I guess definitely not Dungeon Core, but it, it's. Is it kind of no? It's not really Portal. So where does it fit in the subgenres within lit RPG and everything? We you definitely know, I, know it's not harem. <laughs> not harem. Um, it's not harem. It. Um, you know what annoys me the most about the Amazon categorizations is there is no lit RPG category, and there is actually no subgenre for lit RPG because there's no parent genre for it's fantasy most of the time. So where does it fit? Mystery. You know, I like to throw in a lot of twists. I like to have things going on that you never suspected were going on and then throw them at you two books later and you want to palm your head, you know? Um, so I, I definitely think there are elements of mystery, even though it's not a subgenre and not exactly what you asked. Um, there is some dungeon core. I mean, there's a dungeon run in uh, book three that goes on for quite a bit of the book. Um, and, and I think it's pretty good. And there's another one, my new, the one I'm working on for release later this year, Nora 10 is actually going to be a dungeon run as well, because it has to be stemming off of book nine. So that's awesome. I know that uh, they recently whatever it is how congress the library of congress sets it up they uh, awarded like a code specific to lit rpg recently 
Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. I'm such a dork that I know. <laughs> our dork. Well, actually not our dork anymore because I fired kind of you, but you know. Best kind of dork. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think it's really fun. And I've definitely, I read like 12 different um, lit RPG titles trying to figure out if it where it fit and everything. And I, I basically was kind of like you. And I'm like, it could really be either. It depends on the mechanics of it. Right. So, and uh, it's like mystery. You can have mystery that's sci-fi. You can have mystery that's fantasy and, and all the things in between. So yeah. it's, it's a, in me. Uh, hey, that's, it's fun that way. Right. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Write what you enjoy, not just what you know, you know. Oh, absolutely. Evil Overlord. That's that's one of the tropes that I definitely <laughs> definitely lean into in in the Enora online series. But the Evil, evil Overlords series. can be so much fun. Uh, I love well, writing Evil Overlord. I think one of my favorite animes is you don't even know who the Evil Overlord is until the very end and you realize that the evil overlord is the person you thought was the victim all along. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not easy to pull off. Yeah, no, it, it, it is not. That's a pile of spaghetti. Definitely. A lot of so, twisting. So that's a Gordian knot I don't want to try to untie. But let's talk about the story itself and dive in a little Harry, you bit can really tie your boots. I mean, we had Velcro, right? Easy peasy. So what can you tell us about the main character? What makes him unique in the crowded field of lit RPG? Um, he's technically savvy. He's a data center engineer. Ask where I got that from. Um, <laughs> he really understands the technology that's going to put him into the, to the next world. Um, he is adaptive but in uh, not in such an obvious way that he, hey, this guy's just adaptive. He learns to use that as a strength to really, um, and to screw himself, you know, definitely. Uh, yeah, I love that character. I, I never I never tire of, of writing Gemini. He, he has become the muse in itself, you know. So yeah, he's technologically savvy. He's adventurous. He um, he definitely likes to break stuff. So, so Great. did you go into how he picks the name Gemini? I'm assuming that's his gamer tag and not his actual given name by his mother. That his name is Gemini. Yeah, his name is actually Gemini. Oh. and it's my wife. It's my wife's um, sign. That's that's okay. That is a unique name, I think. Okay, so we'll move right along. What about any secondary characters? Were there any of those that are especially memorable? And if so, could you tell, them, tell us about them? Yeah, there's a there's a foul-mouthed goblin named Charney who speaks like people from uh, Gemini's old world. Unlike the rest of the fantasy characters, he uses a lot of foul language and says, bite me a lot. Um, the fans I what? Yeah, he's awesome. The fans like him. Um, he's cool. Then there's Desini. She's the stoic tank type, totally dedicated to the cause, um, but also soft where she needs to be. Uh, and she she probably has... No, she doesn't. It, 
they all have troublesome backgrounds. That's what brings them together. All all their their backstories um, make made their lives crazy, so that they're more appreciative when they find the family that becomes in Gemini and uh, Quest for Roshan and Plague Barons. So uh, yeah, but yeah, the I did a poll on YouTube a while back just to see who people liked because I post my audiobooks out there. And um, Charney was a favorite. Jim and I won, you know, people, of course, main character. But, you know, Ro Roshan, she's the, the priestess of the of the group. She did pretty well. Asian features and from a different continent. Um, and Disney's a favorite. And the love interest, Priya, is a favorite, too. So I get it from all directions. No. I, I can't help it. In my mind, every time I think Gemini, I think of the character from American Gladiators, the old uh, 80s and 90s TV show. Right on. Right on. No, it's just it's just my wife's uh, astrological sign. So I thought, well. Doc was not in a, in America then, so she missed all the good shows when, when TV was fun. Uh, and she just doesn't she doesn't know what she's missing. That's I got Teenage Ninja Turtles, Galaxy Rangers, Star Trek. Yeah, that's sad. You never got mm. to see Charlie's Angels when it was new. TSR. I saw some Charlie's Angels. I was being facetious. I saw a lot of so, murders. So <laughs> I'm convinced that she was the murderer. Like, there's just too much death around her in that small town for it not to be her. Just yep. throwing that out there. Agreed. But uh, so, you know, you mentioned that you had the, the trope of the evil overlord. So uh, we're going to talk about bad guys for a second. So can you tell us about the bad guys the main characters have to confront without giving away any spoilers, obviously? Nope. Yeah, I can. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was so good. The bad guys. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, Jerry, he the long your part of the book is one bad guy, the evil overlord. Um then there's the more politically oriented storyline under the surface that all ties together eventually is the governor of Nall, and he's just he's a real prick um and you know i used myself for the inspiration of of him being such a jerk uh the old you do yeah absolutely I, I wanted to make sure that my personality got into the bad guy who yeah does all these nasty things um, I'm joking, but yeah, I, I like my bad oh, wait, guys. So was I. Oh, no, okay. you weren't joking. <laughs> I like my bad guys. I think oh. that they're they're very different from each other. That that's what makes for good bad guys, I guess. And um, their cause is not always common. So, yeah, I, I think they're pretty cool. So, I really. Really got to know if Gemini and company found you in a back alley. How do you think you'd survive that? If they knew who you, they're like, ah, oh, it's Erlo. He's kind of responsible for that thing that just happened. So, oh man, that could go. Uh, that could go multiple directions. I guess it depends on who's speaking for the crew at the time. Who's in control of things? Um, if it were Gemini, no, I think Gemini would be pretty like, you know, this is better than my old life anyway. The hell with that. Thanks, dude. Um, 
And then again, he might cut me in half. No, no I think the first. I think he'd say, thank you. I've, I've got a good life now, even though it's a tormented and troublesome life. At least I'm never bored. So thanks for the friends, bud. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, there's that there's an old proverb or, or curse, I guess, that we learned when I did World Civ in the 10th grade. And it was, may you live in interesting times. And I didn't understand why that was a curse. And I remember asking the teacher and he's like, yeah, when you're old enough to understand, you'll wish you didn't. And he wouldn't ever answer. And now I get it. And you're describing that for this poor Gemini and acting like that's a good thing, sir. I, I don't know that he would agree with that. <laughs> JR, you were naive for so much more longer than I was. I don't know that I'd say that, hey, but we're gonna move answer. right along. Yep. Do you have do you have a favorite character archetype that you like to write? I do not focus on archetypes. I do not no no. Um it would limit me. The one the one thing that I um that I get from fans on a pretty regular basis is that they uh they love the characters. You know, they they relate to them and they really come off the page for them. And um, I feel like focusing on on any archetype would screw that up for me. I just imagine, if you will, uh, going into Google Maps and standing at street level, right? Um, what I do with each character is try to imagine myself standing there at street level in the world that they're in in and let the situations that they're in tell you who they are by how they respond to them and uh that way i'm focused more on character development and making each one unique as opposed to just being a traditionalist about it i can understand that uh jr really likes the archetypes but jr also counts with his fingers so <laughs> all the cool people do no no JR, stop listening to what your dad tells you to make you feel better about the things your mom and I say. We're being honest. Uh, <laughs> I've actually had to, not only did I fire Doc today, I had to fire my mom because she likes Doc better. So it's just, it's a whole thing. You guys so, have convinced me to do a podcast. Oh my God. I can do this weekly. Uh, we, wow. we can not claim responsibility for the shenanigans that happen unless you make lots of money and then we'll totally claim a part of the profits. Okay. <laughs> so um, can you give us a bit of how the sausage was made? Are there any cool scenes or ideas that you cut from book one and order and but save them to use them uh, elsewhere later? So process wise i try to um give myself i don't outline but i try to give myself a good set of beats to go by mm -hmm. where some authors might write a full description of every chapter and every character reaction and all that pretentious shit um, I, I see some I, people who do that <laughs> yeah i try to do i try to start with two or three lines per chapter and then it just kind of expands as i'm writing so the story comes more organically you know I'm all about the organically when it comes to storytelling, building my mailing list. It's my whole approach. Um, so no is the short answer. I don't, I don't end up cutting scenes because I kind of know where I'm going. And even if it's going to change, uh, it'll, it's more likely to veer off in another direction than it is for me to have to go backwards to remove anything. So I don't, I don't, I'm not really a scene cutter. 
Okay. Okay. So finally, what can you tell us about the universe? You've mentioned that it's a fantasy um, game world that this guy goes into. Uh, but but could you tell us more? In many series, the worlds where the story takes place, and this is especially true of lit RPG, is as much of a character as the protagonist and an antagonist. So, what can we expect from the world of Enora Online? Uh, the biggest impactor of the world is the artificial intelligence that runs it. She does the terraforming. She does um, everything, and the quests in Enora are never static, like they are in regular video games they're all independently tailored to the character's current situation you know it's a real-time thing so uh no one has the same experience inside the world which is the selling point for nakiro takamoto and infinity designs in the story um did i answer the question am i answering it you all? did yeah, yeah. so at, at some point, does he interact with other players that aren't trapped in the game like he is? So, no. During during Gemini's story, it's – I don't want to give anything away. There's a conflict between the developer and the AI that has become sentient, right? Ooh. Because of some events that took place before Gemini came into the picture involving beta testers. So um, that's all I can say. All right. So now if you want to know more people, you can go by the books and we'll link to his Amazon page. So you can do that when this interview is over. So Gemini's Crossing is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon and you told us at least a dozen times. There are currently nine books out in their, this series, but is Gemini's story done? Will there be more from these characters? Where do you see this going next? Um, I don't know if I'll ever stop writing this series, honestly. Uh, I see endings for the other stuff that I'm working on and kind of have an idea of where they're going and, and how that's going to end. But um, that's the funny thing about Gemini. I could have probably ended it after seven books because I put a nice wrap on a long arc in book seven. But um, the ideas keep coming for this freaking guy and he won't leave me the hell alone. So I'm just going to keep telling his stories until people stop buying them, which is not happening. You know, new books come out and they there they go you know so um and Paul, i'm thankful thank you um yeah i i don't see it ending i mean someday i guess it'll have to i'm gonna end someday you know but um speaking unless of like, you go into enora online well if you find a way to transfer my consciousness let me know i'm the first one in line so as long as i can take my wife and my dogs with me but uh yeah i don't i love it i just I love writing this series. I love writing Gemini and I love writing every character in it that is a that is a staple in it. And I never thought I would ever have that. So I would be an idiot to give it up. So the main Enora online series will go on forever um, until I really just see it has to be the end. People have lost interest, whatever. But um, the Fireborn series will be limited in nature. There will only be a certain number of books. Don't know how many. And the Unleashed series, I think we're aiming for between five and seven books, but we haven't decided yet. So you mentioned taking your dogs with you, and now I'm just picturing John Wick in a lit RPG game going nuts and how entertaining that could be. I would pretty much respond. So now you have more ideas. Situation. Yeah. Understood. Understood. So we know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. So what sort of tech or magic could we expect from these books? Um, 
a lot of the standards and a lot of made up stuff. And again, no spoilers for the made up stuff. Half of it's the surprise. Um, when people see someone learn a new spell that they've never seen before, they're kind of like, okay, that's badass, right? And that's the that's the response I want them to have when they see the cool stuff. In um in book nine, something I really enjoyed because I've gotten addicted to Marvel Strike Force, um, is used and Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes I used to play is synergies between combat groups, right? So there are these these groups of fighters who take blood oaths to each other so they can enjoy certain advantages in the casting of their magic and weave certain spells. So um, it's called mana weaving. So uh, they draw on the energy in their own unique way to create spells in ways that weren't necessarily intended to be used. And I like that. Okay. All right. So... Of all the magic, what would you have for your daily use? Or would it be the tech that you made for getting into the game? Well, definitely the tech for getting into the game. But um, teleportation and stealth. <laughs> so how would you abuse that in your daily life? Vaults. Yeah. <laughs> get into vaults all the time oh i would straight up be a criminal are you kidding me by a teleportation and stealth yeah vaults yeah <laughs> i have a lot of money i'm sorry i know it's terrible no that's why we ask because it's a fun question oh yeah i would uh, there'd be some empty banks absolutely yeah so, i don't so like do what they're doing with my money anyway so i'm in let's do it i kind of get that <laughs> so what fantastical creatures did you create for this universe? Um, it's, a, it's a mixture between things I made up and things that I researched from mythology. Um, okay. So there's this ancient beast called a Groot Slang that I really enjoyed uh, that, that comes about in book three. Um, and there are, I created these tree creatures. They're semi-humanoids called Velix that show up that were just scary in my mind. I don't know how it came across in the books, but I just imagined the scariest thing that I could create, made it up, gave it a name. There you go. I enjoy that. Makes sense. All about creativity. So how did you go about creating the one, the ones that you created from scratch? Did you let nature inspire you or the situation meet? I tune them to their environment. I take a more evolutionary approach to it. If they're um, in a forest, they're tree climbers, right? And they're very comfortable doing that. Um, and if I've established the kind of other wildlife that exists in that forest, then I'm going to need to have a food chain. So I'm going to be thinking, are they at the top of it, the middle of it, the bottom of it, and where do they fit with all the other creatures uh, so that they're believable in the context of all of that that's going on? So, okay, so, go ahead, Doc. No, 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 Jared, you, you, uh, we'll let you speak. <laughs> oh well, that's so nice of you. So, do you have a favorite? Yeah, you mentioned you pulled from mythology. Do you have, Doc? Hush, you're grounded. <laughs> so, do you have a favorite mythological creature? Since you mentioned that you pull from that as well, it was why I used the group slang. Yeah, um, 
I, I don't remember exactly what the description said, but I kind of reinvented it too. You know, I made it this hovering gigantic beast and they weren't necessarily that, but um, yeah, that that's an example of, of one that I, I thought was kind of scary when I read about it and I'm lucky to have a search engine, man. <laughs> Very thankful for the search engine. Okay. So clearly this uh, interview is winding down. We went a little bit long, but it's been a blast. Uh, was there anything before we wrap this up about Enora Online or Gemini's Crossing that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us? Um, like as to availability and things like that. Um, uh, it's... Or in general. Okay. Um, no, I think we did a pretty good job covering it for content and characters and universe and, and plot um, without spoilers, as you as you promised. Um, so, so no, I, I think we've done a good job setting it up. It's, it's pretty nonstop. I, I think readers enjoy it. Uh, they continue to surprise me with the numbers that, that have continued to buy it. So it's doing something right. Okay. So before we let you go, dear listener, you know, it's that time of the show where I remind you that your thoughts matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So that means you can go review it on Amazon, on Goodreads, on all the places where you buy your books. And if that's not enough, start a blog and review it there. You will have lots of famous author people liking your reviews and then wanting to give you free books so you can review theirs too. Or so I'm told. All right. So uh, Arlo, how can um, listeners find you if they want to stalk you? Um, well, hopefully you're going to put my stuff in the show notes, uh, <laughs> but I'm on, I actually have the first six audiobooks up on YouTube. So you can find me there. Um, and then I, I have a Patreon where I'm actually in the process of I'm releasing chapters of a science fiction book a little bit off of the genre for people that are interested in that. It's a kind of dystopian post way post apocalyptic story that I'm dropping at the same time that I'm working on unleashed for. Um, and there's a, I have a Facebook page. We can also link them to and um, Instagram. I'm less involved in uh, I'm a little more involved in the Arlo Facebook page. So I'm kind of all over but I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Not a big fan. Okay. But I'm there and you can find me. And we will link to all of that. Uh, you. So you can find us, dear listener, on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. That is blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. If the person is nice and sweet and all kinds of awesomeness, you're talking to me. If they're abrupt, rude, and mean, you know it's Doc and she loves you. That's why she's mean to you. Uh, you can also send the hate mail to Seska at blastersandblades.com. Uh, so you can find all of our shenanigans on our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can find our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. 
anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can also support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on with a patreon style model you can also support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders Never surrender. Nobody likes a quitter, JR. Nobody likes a quitter. That should be our unofficial model, right next to we put the fun in dysfunction. <laughs> we ought to trademark that. All right, Doc, bring us home. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, the absentee one, JR, the confused one, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, with some more craziness because that's what we do. <laughs> well, <laughs> and she's so drunk, she's drooling on herself. I am not that drooling. Is, is this where I, I mean, go with it. in the mail? Yeah. <laughs> JR. All right, people. Just for talking like that, you're going to have to eat some pineapple on pizza and you'll like it.